Good morning, Springbrook. So good to be back with you. Amen. Amen. I'm just so thankful for those guys who uh, spoke uh, throughout the month of July. I listened to them all. You did a great job. You guys were treated. And, but I was so much looking forward to coming back and teaching and loving you guys. Because this is the family of God, as we talked about. And it's very, very special. Over vacation, we just did a lot of different things. Uh, went up to Minnesota for a wedding, as I talked about. And then also went down to Chicago, did some jet skiing, which my wife loves. <laughs> That's the one thing we had to do. And uh, then also we rode the Divi bikes, you know, those big blue bikes. And I'm a short guy on those bikes, you know, I'm dangerous on the road. So I, I came close to taking some people out, but I think it all worked out. And of course, did the honeydew list and everything you want to do. And when you have that time, I appreciate you giving that to me. Uh, God, again, spoke to me and refreshed me in a new way. And I was talking about uh, this, this whole area of grace. Is that we, I've been led to, to take us deeper into our understanding of it over the next four weeks. So I would encourage you to be here every week because we're just going to go deeper and deeper into God's grace and what it means uh, to each of us. So, we've got four different messages. That's not fair is today. Debt-free is next week. Spiritual debt. Lost and found, August 20th. Forgiven, August 27th. We're going to be looking at four different parables that Jesus told about grace. Four different parables that helps us to understand the depth and the amazing nature of it. We're going to start with a parable of the laborers in the vineyard. It's found in Matthew 20. If I get your Bible or your phone and follow along here. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them in to his vineyard. Now, parable is, of course, an earthly story with a heavenly truth in it. And we're going to be exploring this as the Holy Spirit teaches us. So, back in that day, you had many rural communities. And there weren't any, a lot of big cities in, in Israel. So they were smaller communities, and everybody knew each other. You know, and if you grew up in a small town, and everybody knew each other, huh? That's kind of a unique dynamic. Well, that's the way it was. And people had skills uh, that they used, woodworking like Jesus and other types of things. But there were a lot of people who did not have a skill. So they were the laborers. And what would happen every morning is that they would come into the middle of the city or town, whatever it was, and they would wait to be hired. Now, they weren't, they didn't have much. I mean, they were just a step above beggars. And every day they went there because they had to work that day in order to provide for their family. If they didn't get work that day, it might mean that their family didn't have food the next day. So... They were looking for jobs, and 
So they were all there. And so this landowner, he wants to hire some laborers. Uh, look, a vineyard here. Uh, again, on the right side, left side is one picture. Looks like two pictures, but it's one picture of them tending uh, the grapes. And on the right side is the grapes, of course, after they have ripened. And what's going to happen is that uh, they're going to collect all those grapes. And they need more people than are in the household. You know, particular servants in a household. But let's say it's harvest time. Well, you need a lot more people to help you out at that time because it was a very short window in September and you had to get out there uh, when they were ready, obviously, uh, to be harvested. So he went down to the laborers. Now, one thing is important is to understand uh, the Jewish workday. The Jewish workday went from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. All right, so 12 hours. A lot of you guys with your commute, <laughs> you do a little more than that. But what happened is, is that there were different times of the day. So at 9 o'clock, you had the third time. And then at 9, or excuse me, 12, was the six, And 9, uh, or excuse me, 3, was the ninth, ninth hour. And then, of course, you had, uh, went all the way to 6 o'clock. So he's going to be bringing people throughout the day to help him. And he's going to pay him a denarius. Now, this was very generous. Usually, the men who worked in this way, they, they didn't get a denarius. So this was a great day when they would have got a denarius. And he sent them into the vineyard. And going about the third hour, now what hour is that? 9 o'clock? Nine o'clock. He saw others standing idle in the marketplace. In the original language, it's not like an idleness, it's lazy people. They were just standing there waiting for a job. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. Now he gave the first group a denarius, but he says, Listen, I'm going to treat you right. And they all knew each other. They knew this particular land, excuse me, estate man, and he, of course, was able uh, to be trusted to do what was right. So he does that. Then we go on. So they went going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour. He did the same. So he just kept hiring people. So when it got to the sixth hour, which is noon, when it got to the ninth hour, which is three o'clock, he was still hiring people. In fact, maybe these people were a little more not as strong, maybe older, and nobody picked them up. So at this time, they were able to, to go to work. And then, in the 11th hour, what time is that? 5 p.m., right? One hour to go. About the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? Like, well, what are you doing around? These guys, maybe they would already done a job, and they came back to get something else. And so they said to him, because no one has hired us, he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So he hired people at five o'clock. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. 
Now, he was following the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law said that you need to pay those laborers on that particular day because they have a desperate need for those resources. And many times you'll see in Scripture where uh, the laborers are crying out because uh, they went to work uh, for one of the uh, estate uh, owners and they didn't get it. They didn't get the money. So it's very important that they honor these people in that way. And that's, of course, what this uh, estate owner is going to do. Call the laborers and pay them their wages beginning with the last up to the first. Now, that's a little bit unusual, paying those people who came last. But you'll see why as we move along here. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. You got all the laborers there and they're handing out denariuses. And so those people who worked one hour got a denarius. <laughs> what do you think is going through the minds of the people who started at 6 a.m.? What do you think they're thinking? They're going like, wow. He pays a denarius an hour. That's great. We're going to get 12. We're going to get 12 denariuses, like two or three works, two or three weeks worth because of his generosity. I mean, if the guy has been there an hour and they work 12, it just makes sense, right? Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, right? Makes sense. But each of them also received a denarius. Hmm. How do you think that made him feel? <laughs> well, as they said, and I'm receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. You've been grumbling at work this past week. <laughs> but unfair treatment. Uh, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. They are ticked. I mean, they're saying, what in the deal is going on here? I mean, we were out there at 6 a.m. And we have worked a long, hard day in the scorching heat. And we've given everything 12 hours. And you're paying the guys who only worked one hour a denarius. And you're paying us the same thing. Well, that is just not fair. I think if we'd been in that situation, we'd probably say the same thing. That doesn't make any sense. What we're going to learn is that God's grace does not add up. It just doesn't work. And that's why people struggle with it so much, because it's so foreign to us compared to what we experience uh, in this world. Now, let me illustrate this. I uh, ate a Giordano's over vacation, my favorite deep dish pizza. And Luminati's, forget it, you know. Thin crust is so good, you know, but Giordano's, that's the place to go. And so I thought I wanted to pass on this gift of pizza uh, to someone. And uh, let's see who looks... Hungry. <laughs> oh, it looks hungry. Uh, let's see. 
Let me show you down here. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I only got one, so I got to be careful in who I choose. And I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Wouldn't want to do that type of thing. And, uh, Bill, I'm going to give you this wonderful gift of $25. You like Jerry Donald's Pizza? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a gift of grace from me. I love you, man. I love you. Yeah, there we go. All right. Yeah. I know what Bill is thinking here, right? Bill is saying, now, wait a second. Uh, you've both been very long, you know, coming to Springbrook and being involved and and you're probably thinking, Dan, why did you pass me by? That's right. It was unfair. I mean, I'm sitting right here. Look at this, you know, this whole area. Just you guys. Why didn't you give it to me? Because Phil's great and everything. We love Phil. But i also been here for a long time. And I thought we were friends. Can't you cut me a break? And you continue to think about it. And you say... You know, it's just not fair for all of us. All of us should rise up because we did not get a gift card. And we attended this morning. We want equality for all. That's what you're thinking, right? That's what I thought you were thinking. Exactly. (laughs) Well, friends, that is exactly what this story is about. It's getting a gift that you shouldn't have gotten, that you didn't deserve. It's a a gift of grace. You know, it's interesting. Uh, when you talk about grace, uh, when, when you go out with a bunch of friends uh, and you go to, let's say, uh, Luminati's, Thin Crust, very good pizza. Uh, they've got, you know, wonderful uh, place up there. And so eight of you go out. And you usually go out with these people so you know how they, you know, eat pizza. And so you're looking out over the group. And you're thinking, I want to make this as fair as possible. <laughs> right? Everybody gets the amount of pieces that they pay for. And you know, there's a lady at the end of the table, and she says she hardly eats anything. But you know, you know she eats an average of five to six pizza, pizza pieces because you've watched her in the past. And then there's a guy next to you, and, and, and he could eat both pizzas. And, and he doesn't seem to have, you've got to have pizza sensitivity, right? Because everybody's watching the pizza. How many keep track? I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> Guys, it's more of a deal. You know, they're saying, okay, how many pieces have I had? Have they had? Okay. And you're all kind of waiting for that last moment. Okay, there's one piece there. And you've waited a good five minutes. You've timed it out. And what do you say? What do you say, Mike? To get that piece of pizza. You know? What? Uh, anybody know what you say? The, the phrase you use to get that pizza? Anybody? That's right. That's what you do. Anybody want this? Does anybody want this piece? And what you're really saying is, I want this piece! I deserve this piece. I've waited for this piece. This is part of my three allocated pieces. All right? So I want it. Now, that wouldn't be appropriate, right? Uh, to uh, ask for pizza in that way. So you say, oh, 
Anybody else? I don't want to be the person who's you know, <laughs> a hog here. <laughs> but I do want that pizza. See, that's what we're saying. Because we want equality. We want things to add up. You ever go out with a group of people and you split the bill you know, evenly? That drives some people nuts. It's like, eh, they got a dessert and they got uh, a large soda and they paid a lot more. And I did. It goes back to that root of fairness that we struggle with so much. So what did the landowner say? He said, he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Well, yeah. The guy at six came early in the morning. That was the agreement. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this to the last worker as I gave to you. Again, that, that makes sense to some degree. But why does he get the same? He, he just keep going back. Why? It's just not fair. Have you have kids? They've recently said, it's just not fair. You heard that this past week from any of your kids who live at home? <laughs> well, man, how many have heard it from yourselves? That's just not fair. <laughs> well, we learned pretty quickly that life is not fair. Landor is saying, hey, I was very generous towards you, but I chose to be more generous as this person. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So here are these guys at the beginning of the day. They said, wow, a denarius for a whole day. That's like a Roman soldier's pay. And that's much more than we usually get. So they're excited at the end of the day, but they're angry when actually they receive a denarius. And the guy who came at 5 o'clock receives a denarius. Right? And basically the landowner is saying, are you begrudging my God? Are you discounting my honesty or generosity, that is, in regards to what I promised that I'd give you? You got what you got. Very interesting question. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. That's what Jesus Christ does. His kingdom, the kingdom of God, is flipped. It's opposite to what this world tells us. The world tells us you should be first. You should do everything you can to get engaged and get as much as you want because it's very scarce out there. And you've got to make it happen. Where Christ says, you have to submit to me. You have to follow me. You need to be my servant. Because the first shall be last in my kingdom. And again, that doesn't make sense to us. But that's why it's so important and we continue to study and meditate and pray over who we are in Jesus Christ. Another thing that God was speaking to me about over the break was uh, my identity in Christ. My identity in Christ. Now, I've taught on this before. In fact, if you go on the web page, the messages, you'll see a, um, something to download there with, Everything and all the verses that tell about who you are in Christ. I am God's child. I am adopted by Him. I have the Holy Spirit 
within me. I no longer face any type of condemnation. And that's something I'm going to continue to talk about. And because I need that. That's the grace of God that I need, that I need to remind myself. And usually, you know, performance standards and all these type of things that we look at. It's like, no, my identity is found in Christ alone. I am, I am valued. I'm, I'm treasured because He loves me. He loves me just the way that I am. And when I go out to work today, I might not be working the job I'd like to work or have these problems or that problems. But if I just stop and really focus on who I am in Christ, no matter what happens in my life, no matter what challenges come my way, I'll always have that identity, even as I lay on my deathbed in a hospital or in a hospice. That's my identity. And friends, you've got to ask God to help you to understand what your identity is because it's all about grace. You don't deserve any of it, but God chose to give it to you. God chose for you to be a follower of Christ, and you need to remember that. And so often we're just caught up in the world's way, and you know, I think, oh, I'm not a good Christian because of this or that, and that might be things you need to work on, but Jesus loves you. You've got to keep reminding yourself of that, that He has a very pure love for you, an unconditional type of love. Well, I've seen, I was reading this book and it talks about being a, uh, an ungraced church. An ungraced church is the one who's always telling you you're not doing good enough and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. But a graced church is where you still talk about the importance of spiritual growth and spiritual disciplines, but at the same time you keep on talking about God's grace, God's love uh, for us. Matthew 21 but the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So let's go back and look at this parable briefly and say, okay, what was Jesus really saying? What was the message he was trying to get across? Well, usually God is represented in the parables. Who would be God in this particular parable? Landowner, right? He owns the estate. He's the one who makes the decisions. He's the one who... Gives out the wages. And then you have the people. And who are they? Well, us. People. People live on this earth. And so what he does is he reaches into our life. And we see clearly who Jesus Christ is. And we accept that gift of salvation. And it transforms forms us. There's different ways you can look at this. I mean, for example, let's say you became a Christ follower and you were five. Anybody come uh, to Christ before they were five or five, whatever, six? Anybody? Uh, sure, a lot of you. Uh, so I had that experience. My wife had that experience. So we've had this whole life uh, to know God, to walk with God, uh, to experience His power and His love. And it's just been terrific. And again, we've served all our lives. Now, at the same time, let's say somebody comes 
to Christ on their deathbed. So are we going to get a better set up in heaven than they are? Because they only were Christ followers for like a half hour. You think about the thief on the cross, right? Did he any time to, you know, uh, make up to God? Well, no, of course he didn't. Because we don't earn our salvation. Another way to look at it is saying, okay, well, let's look at what a Christ follower truly is. And let's say the people who came at 6 a.m. were the righteous. They were Christ followers and they lived their lives for God. But the 11 o'clock person or the um, 5 o'clock person, they have been very evil throughout their lives and have had a deathbed conversion. Anybody remember this guy? Manuel Noriega. Uh, ruler of Panama, dictator, brutal, brutal in so many ways. He was a drug haven back in the 80s, and finally uh, we were able to get him arrested and taken to Florida uh, to be tried. And it was said that a month after he was in there, there were a couple pastors that came out to talk to him about the gospel. And that he made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Even Louis Palau, he's a well-known evangelist, especially in South America. And so he would be able to relate, and he felt that it was a sincere decision. Now, we always kind of look at these things and say, well, you know, people find Jesus in jail because they got nothing else. Well... That's true, isn't it? They get to the end of the rope and they finally hang on to Jesus. Who did Jesus Christ hang out with? He hang out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and people that the religious leaders thought were trash. But he had come to the sinners because the sinners knew that they needed a salvation. They needed what Jesus Christ had to offer. So he made this decision. He died several years ago. And how does that make you feel? And here's a brutal dictator, somebody who's affected millions of people, somebody who has abused human rights, somebody who has uh, been a main thoroughfare for drug trafficking. Is that fair that he should be able to become a Christ follower? And I tell you what, a lot of Christians struggle with that. Right? Well, no. Of course not. Look what he's done. I mean, he's like the worst. Deserves a special place in hell. And there will be for people who are very, very, uh, you know, uh, murderous and uh, hurt a lot of people. But the point is, is that now you're saying after all that he did just by asking Christ to be his Savior, he's going to heaven. Well, that's what the Bible says. And you see, that is what people hate about Christianity because it doesn't match our world's culture where you have to work to get everything you have. It's just the opposite. Just the opposite. How about this guy? President Assad from Syria. Now, this man has been called 
the worst of the last hundred years in regards to human rights, brutality. I mean, we've seen it on the news very often uh, about the, the war in Syria. And, of course, we know that one time he, he, he killed 3,000 men, or excuse me, 13,000 men at one time. He's killed them. Know, of course, that he used uh, chemical weapons against his own people, right? Remember that? How terrible that was, and how could anybody do that? Now, let me ask you a question. If Assad, at some point in the future, turns to Christ and repents of these sins and claims what Jesus Christ did on the cross, do you think he could become? A Christ follower. Well, he's even worse than Noriega. Come on! That doesn't fit into our mind. We don't want to accept that. But when you look at Scripture, when you look at how God operates, the thing is we're all in the same boat. We are dead spiritually. Every baby is dead on arrival spiritually because they have no spiritual life. So whether it be Noriega or Assad or myself, you know, Hey, we're dead spiritually. But again, God, of course, can step in and give that grace to us. Even sometimes some of the worst men who've lived. Now, again, it's, the probability of that happening isn't high, obviously. But again, God did it with Manuel Noriega. And so we've got to wrestle with that. Because so many times we're holding on to performance-based religion. And we've been good people, and we've made sacrifices, and we've given to the Lord, and we've treated people uh, in, in a great way and just, you know, ministered to their needs. And they say there's no way that Norega can be a Christ follower. It just doesn't add up. Well, that's what we're talking about here, friends. Grace doesn't make any sense. Grace doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Philip Yancey said in his book, What is grace? Grace is that there is nothing that I can say or do that can make God love me more. And there's nothing that I can do that will make God love me less. Take a moment to look at that. Grace is that there is nothing that I can say or do that can make God Love me more. There's nothing that I can do that will make God love me less. God's love never changes for you. Again, it doesn't make sense, but that's the way it is. And friends, that's what I really want us to continue to think more about in terms of our relationship with God. Yes, it's our responsibility to walk along in sanctification, that process of becoming more like Christ throughout the Christian life. But at the same time, we need to realize that God loves us just the way that we are. He has a perfect love for us that never changes no matter what we do, good or bad. You can't be in God's doghouse, one might say. And that's a revolutionizing truth. I think to all of us, to realize that, that, wow, you know, I am loved by God. That's one thing I've been doing recently as I've studied through this material. 
and I get a moment to think, and I say, I'm, I'm loved by God. And that's where my self-identity is. He loves me. He showed grace to me. And with all the issues we might have sometimes in our life, God is the one who loves us, who's going to be there for us, who's going to meet our needs. So this is just the beginning. We're going to dig deeper uh, next week and see what God has to say. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for my friends here. It's great to be back with them. Thank you for the responsibility of teaching. I appreciate it so much, Lord, and it's a great joy. And, Lord, I just pray that as we go throughout this next season of ministry, that we would truly understand how great God's grace is, your grace is, and how much we need it. We need it, of course, when we don't know the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you don't know God, and uh, you'd like to discover this grace. Well, we would love to talk with you about that. And maybe you've been a Christ follower for many, many years. And the way to wake up in the morning is to identify who you are. I am a child of God. And many other things, because we're seeking to transform our minds, Lord. We pray that you would do that, that we would look at life with new lenses, grace lenses. Lord, thank you for how incredible you are. In Christ's name, amen.